Welcome back to another episode of B-Hall Radio. I'm your host, Brian Rowan, and we have a special guest host on tonight. We have 2011 graduate Rudy Chalednik. Um, he's on here tonight because he's the one who recommended our guest tonight, um, Mr. Tom Abraham. He's a 1965 graduate of the U.S. Military Academy. Um, he wrestled and played football while at the Academy. He was a two-time NCAA qualifier, EIWA finalist, Vietnam veteran, and Welcome to the show, Mr. Abraham. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Brian and Rudy. Yeah, it's good to have yeah, you. Yeah, guys. Uh, starting out for you know, so the listeners know, uh, Mr. Abraham insisted that we call him Tom. So we're gonna we're gonna you know refer to him as Tom for the rest of the episode. No disrespect, but you know, your 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 wish is our command. So um, okay. appreciate you coming on. I think I think started off. I mean, I, I I'd like to know more about how you and uh, Rudy know each other and why you know hear from Rudy also why you recommended uh Tom come on the show and I've, I've yeah. seen Tom, I've seen some of your uh your your posts on Facebook on the wrestling on the army wrestling alumni page I see you're actively involved um so that's how I first you know became aware of wow we have you know you know we've got ex- distinguished graduates you know looking at looking at the wrestling page so um appreciate you coming on and you know Rudy I'll have you start kind of kind of introduce that a little bit yeah, sure. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah, Brian, first, thanks all for having me on here. Um, my dogs might have an appearance just like when I really did. Um, so that'll be fun as we go on today. But uh, yeah, so so Tom Abraham, uh, my mom worked for him um, when he was he was building houses. And, uh, and it was really my first introduction to West Point. Um, but, and that was really all I knew. So my, my, when I was working my way through West Point, my, my first introduction, I read the, uh, the Long Gray Line book. Um, I believe it was about the class of 1966, um, and then uh, Tom Abraham, and uh, he's just a man of, of super high character uh, who kind of guided me through the process and, and really helped me get in, um, So I, and he's continued to remain a, a really good friend, really good mentor, and uh, just, just really fortunate to have him on here today and, uh, and, and listen to his story. So Mr. Abraham, I'm sure you have a different perspective than I do, but uh, please <laughs> go ahead. No. Well, when I when I moved back home in uh, uh, the late '90s, uh, <clears throat> home being Greensburg, Pennsylvania, uh, I, I went to uh, uh, all the sporting events and particularly wrestling, and uh, I became interested. I, I stayed in touch with the wrestling program at West Point. I, I knew uh, uh, the coaches. I, I remember uh, Coach Joe and the guy before him. Uh, Joe Heskett and the guy before him, I forget his name, but I, I stayed in touch with him. And, and uh, anytime I, I, I heard or saw a good wrestler from Western Pennsylvania, uh, my area, I would write to, uh, uh, write to the coach and say, hey, you ought to keep an eye on this guy. And I was trying to be pretty careful about not violating any recruiting rules or anything. And I didn't know what they were anyhow. So I just took uh, newspaper clippings, and Rudy happened to be one guy that uh, uh, was outstanding at his high school, which was in my hometown, uh, Hempfield High School. And uh, uh, I don't remember if I asked him if he would be interested in, in talking to anybody at West Point or not, but I, I know I sent some newspaper articles down and asked the coach to keep an eye on him. And... Uh, and actually, he told me he already had his eye on Rudy. Uh, so I don't know, maybe Rudy wasn't aware of it, but uh, <clears throat> Rudy's reputation had already preceded him to, uh, to West Point. And uh, I just encouraged the coach to uh, follow through with that because uh, uh, Rudy was, uh, was going to be a good wrestler, and I thought he'd fit into the Army program quite well. Yeah, so, so on that, um, I... I went into my, my West Point experience pretty half-cocked, if we're going to be honest. Um, didn't, didn't know a whole lot about, about West Point. None of my family is in the Army. If you search the Army database, there are two Chalitniks in, in the whole Army database. So uh, it, it was really interesting. But I remember uh, my mom had just cleaned a house for, for Tom, and, uh, and I got a, a recruiting letter from, from Coach Barbie. And uh, you know, me and my, my family talked about it, and we were like, okay, this, this could be an opportunity. And... Uh, I, I asked my mom about, about Tom and she's like, Hey, he's, he's a great guy. Um, he, he went to West point. Maybe this is an opportunity you want to look into. So 
know it or not, uh, Tom, you were very influential in, uh, in me choosing West Point. I'm, I'm very thankful for it because it's been the best decision that I've ever made for sure. Well, I'm glad to hear it. So yeah, I, I mean, enough about me. This is about you, Mr. Abraham. So, uh, so Brian, well, you said that, Rudy. I was going to say that next, but I kind of <laughs> felt like a dick. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I, I enjoyed keeping tabs on Rudy during his four years at West Point uh, and after, but uh, we went up as often as we could, and I didn't have any kids of my own, so uh, Rudy was the one guy under my wing, and uh, I was rooting for him the whole four years he was there. And uh, I was a home builder. That's how I met his wife. And she did work for me. And yep. uh, she would clean the new houses that I built. So uh, I, I was, and I'm like Rudy, I, I, there was nobody, nobody in my family ever even went to college, let alone served in the military. So I didn't know much about West Point or what it was entailed, but uh, uh, I never, ever regretted uh, uh, going there. So when you decided to go to West Point, um, was it more for football or wrestling or just the military in general? Or like what, what kind of drove your decision to go to West Point? And when did that begin? When I was in high school, I guess I, I, I just kind of took going to college for granted. Uh, but in reality, my dad worked in a factory. I don't know that he could have even afforded to send me to college. Uh, we never talked about it. Uh, but I, I did well enough in football that I knew I was going to get some offers and I just assumed I would be going to college. And uh, uh, when I was a junior, I was approached by uh, the coaching staff at West Point. Uh, I was also coach, uh, approached by others. Uh, by the time I was a senior, I was approached by about, I had about 12 different offers to uh, play football in a couple of schools that offered me a wrestling scholarship. And uh, I thought the hometown folks should uh, have the opportunity to see me play, continue my sports career. And Army played, on, played football on TV twice. So I decided to go to Army. And I, and I wanted a school that had uh, wrestling as well, because I played three sports in high school, football, wrestling, and baseball. And I wasn't going to give up. I wasn't going to be a one sport guy in college. I'd have gotten bored. So I, I sacrificed baseball and went for uh, division one uh, football and wrestling. And uh, the wrestling coach didn't even know me. I just kind of walked on after football season and made the team. Was that after your, your plebe year? Um, you, no, you we, we, had plebe, we had plebe football, I mean, plebe wrestling, plebe, plebe sports. And uh, I made the uh, wrestling team as a freshman. And then uh, uh, <clears throat> coach knew about me, uh, but I went and I, I was paired against the, uh, the, the top wrestler at Army, uh, Al Ruchatz. Ruchatz. And uh, I was his workout partner and I was the only guy, we were the same weight, but he was strong and built like me and I was strong and built like him. And uh, we, I was the only guy that could give him a workout. Everybody else was no challenge to him. So I got some pretty good practice working with him. And, uh, and I had a pretty good plebe year. I don't know what my record was. I didn't keep track. Uh, but sophomore year, then uh, he, he was gone. Uh, but then there was another guy, guy that was pretty good. Uh, I forget his name. Uh, at 191. So uh, I got into a few matches. Coach wanted me to get down to 177. But... Uh, uh, I, I made it once or twice, and I don't even remember how many times I wrestled as a sophomore. But after after that guy, I think his name was Nichols. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Nicola, Jack, uh, John, uh, Nicola. Ray Nicola. Ray Nicola, yeah. Uh, he was pretty good, too. And uh, But uh, once he was gone, there there was just no stopping. I, 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 I was... Uh, I was uh, the 191 pounder for two years straight. And I also wrestled uh, heavyweight because we didn't have one my senior year. How was it uh, doing football and wrestling? Did you, did you end up uh, focusing on one or the other? No. Uh, I'd say in high school, wrestling was considered my off, off uh, 
my off sport. Uh, the main sport was football. Uh, but I, I enjoyed wrestling and I did well. I won, I won sections. I won districts. I had a guy that beat me six times over two years. And I finally beat him in the final match. And uh, I got to the uh, um, WPIALs and, uh, and lost in the finals by one point. Otherwise, I'd have been the first son of a father who made it to states uh, or won that tournament and went to states. Uh, so I didn't make states in high school. But when I got to when I got to Army, I was interested in in wrestling equally to football. Uh, but football was a big disappointment. I got re recruited for football. That coaching staff left, and uh, the freshman coaching staff never even uh, gave me a chance to to play in a game. Uh, which I really ticked me off. Uh, but I got to wrestling and uh, I made up for it. I enjoyed the heck out of wrestling and I was first team uh, for the next four years, except for maybe a, a part of that sophomore year. And uh, so I, I uh, uh, sophomore year, I, I played a lot of football because I was on the B squad. Uh, but once I got to, to wrestling, uh, Wrestling was definitely my predominant sport. Uh, I did much better in wrestling than football. And uh, junior year, uh, there were two guys ahead of me at football, and uh, they were both out during the uh, uh, the preseason two a days. And uh, so I was running with the first team, and that was my big chance. And uh, don't you know, I got uh, we went both ways back then. And I was on defense on the corner, and one guy hit me low, one guy hit me high, and I tore tore one of my knees. Right, so I missed half the year, my uh, 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 junior year. Uh, but I, I healed and I played uh, a little bit, uh, and I wrestled. Didn't give me any problem at all uh, wrestling. But transition from football to wrestling was uh, football was over on a Saturday and. And uh, Sunday, I was at wrestling practice. So there was never, ever, ever any time in between. And the same thing happened senior year. There was one guy ahead of me, and, and uh, he was out with a cold or something. Uh, we haven't even played the first game. And uh, uh, I was running with the first team, and uh, I tore the other knee. And uh, I missed half of that year. So uh, I never really really uh, uh, went the distance on my football career. But again, football, after the Army-Navy game on Saturday, Monday I was at wrestling practice. And uh, I did much better at wrestling uh, both years than, than, than I did at football. Was yeah, there, everyone uh, likes Sorry. Go ahead, Brian. No, go ahead. Say, uh, was there, like, so you qualified for NCAAs in wrestling your, your junior year. Was there any pressure to just focus on wrestling after your junior year and, and not and you know hang it up or football or was it, was was it understood that you're going to you're going to do both your first? It was year? understood I was going to do both, and I think that might have been a mistake, uh, but I never considered giving up football, uh, and I'd never give up wrestling either. Uh, I, I would have done better uh, if I had focused on on one uh, on wrestling. Uh, my, my bad knees never did uh, uh, hinder me in any way uh, for wrestling. But I had three priorities when I went to West Point, football, wrestling, and academics. And as far as I could see, I excelled at two out of three. <laughs> and the academics didn't matter that much. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do a little highlight clip of this episode, I'll snip that part out. <laughs> <laughs> I think most most the teams kind of changed a little bit, but at least I know when me and Brian were there, uh, that was that was pretty true. We uh, we tried to focus on wrestling and and get through school the best that we could. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it was it was very difficult. I uh, I never I never had a day uh, in the four years. I never had a day not in an NCAA sport. Football, wrestling, spring practice for football. 
And uh, uh, when you beat yourself up at practice, it's tough to come back and really apply yourself uh, for academics. Uh, but uh, I still graduated and I, I still, uh, I came out, I, in my opinion, a lot smarter than a lot of others. Sure. I, you know, they, this is, they like to say the core has, but holy smokes, Mr. Abraham, like you had it harder than anyone. Jeez, oh man. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't imagine. I remember my, my senior year once wrestling was over. Um, and we didn't have wrestling practice anymore. Oh my gosh, that last semester was just so much easier. We didn't have, have a sport to do anymore. Yeah. Um, so that, that's awesome. Um, do, you, do you still stay in touch with the football team much? I mean, you're as, as uh, invested in the wrestling team, it seems like, as, as just about anyone. Um, do, you, uh, do you still follow those? Yeah, I follow, but uh, I don't... Uh, uh, the guys I was closest to on the football team team are, are mostly all gone okay uh we had don parcells and and uh bill zadell all-american tackle and uh john seymour and johnny johnson or johnny i don't know if johnny johnson's still going or not but they were they were the backfield guys and those are the ones that uh, i palled with denny lewis was a lineman uh uh it seems like the football guys have, have, have dropped pretty good. Um, and the wrestlers, we didn't have many senior wrestlers. Bob Arvin, of course, is gone. And uh, uh, he was gone from Vietnam. And uh, uh, Steenlege and Robbins and, and uh, um, Ray uh, Zicator or something like that. Uh, they were all class of 66. So I only had a couple of classmates that went all the way through, uh, 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 through senior year. Yeah. yeah I, amazing go element. ahead, Brad. We, we've, we've talked about it on a, a couple of previous episodes, but when I was going through, when Rudy was going through, you know, you'd start out with about probably 15 plebes on the team. And then after the four years, you'd end up with about five or six or seven. Because it's yeah. just tough. And, you know, when times get tough, you know, if, if one thing's got to take a hit, sometimes it's wrestling. And um, one thing I think that's really amazing now is with the team they have, there's the last th two or three years, there's been 12, 13, 14, 15 seniors uh, on each of those teams. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I attribute that to the, how close they are as friends. It's like, you know, if, if, if they, all the guys were that close, it, it just adds another factor to make sure that people don't, you know, they're not, you're not going to leave the team because those are your friends. Like those are the people you want to hang out with. And you guys had coach Barbie. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I had Alex and, uh, I learned something about, about myself and Alex, uh, when I went to his funeral and that was a long time after West Point. And, uh, um, <clears throat> to tell you what kind of coach he is, uh, I was, I was good. I was not great. Uh, I didn't win a national championship. Uh, I should have won Easterns, but, uh, uh, I lost in the finals to the quarterback from Syracuse. But, uh, I realized at his funeral that even though I was always confident, very confident in my ability as a wrestler, uh, he was more confident in me than I was. And I didn't think that was possible. And uh, he believed in me. And that's what a coach has to do. Coach has to believe in you. And I think, I think your coach, Ed Barbie, uh, and the one, uh, the one we have now, I, uh, what's his name? Kevin Ward. Uh, yeah, Ward. Kevin Ward. And I, I, I think those, those guys, they also believe in their wrestlers. And if the wrestlers would understand that, I think they'd believe just that little extra half inch more in themselves. And I think they'd come out better. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, I think they're doing a great, I think they're doing a great job. I think Kevin's, yeah. you know, he, he came on the, um, the show last week and um, kind of talked to us about the team and preseason 
um, how the guys are doing and, you know, said they're, you know, they're looking good. They're working hard. I don't know if you saw the post today. They actually had wrestling. They had like simulated matches, I think like wrestle offs on the apron. Um, so really? right, right in, right in front of the, the mess hall, they set up, uh, they wow. set up the mats. Yeah. Wow, that's so pretty great. cool. Pretty cool little ambiance. Rudy, did you see that? I did. Yeah. I, uh, Coach Ward's definitely doing a great job. He's, he's, he's extremely invested in the program and, uh, he's doing, putting some neat wrinkles in it for sure. Uh, But yeah, that was neat. I was like, man, I kind of wish I was there. I want to get out there, but I'm old and broken now and I I can't wrestle anymore. (laughs) You're down to weight though, Rudy. I mean, I might, I I could, I think if, if push came to shove and I really cut hard, I could make 141. Like, uh, like I would like to, but uh, other than that, no, I, I can't wrestle anymore. Those days are long gone. So, but, uh, uh, Mr. Abraham, so kind of leading into, uh, I want to before I want to get into your 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 time in Vietnam and, and posting the cabinets. I feel like that's so interesting, but I wouldn't want to. I don't want to lose sight of also kind of your time at the academy and like how things were so much you know were different than as everybody says the core has. You know, you've been back to West Point several times. You know, what are the, some of the big, you know, big things that you think, um, not necessarily for good or bad, but like changes or, you know, things that you've, re- you know, you've seen that are very different or things that like, wow, this stayed exactly the same. Well, there's, there's uh, no bracing anymore. And uh, I, I don't think that's a bad thing uh, that they got rid of bracing because uh, that didn't make a lot of sense. Uh <clears throat> But I understand there's a uh, forgiveness. People get a second chance. If they lie, cheat, or still, depending on how serious it is, they get a second chance. In my day, uh, if you told a lie about shining your shoes, you get kicked out of the academy. And, uh, you know, that seems pretty puny and, and picky, but that's the that was the... Uh, that was the uh, honor code that we lived by. And uh, uh, I, I respected that. And I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I've ever told a, a tiny little fib or a white lie or, or whatever you call it. Um, and I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody should be getting a second chance if they do. Uh, who, who's to say what, what's the measure of a little white lie? Uh, can't have lie at all uh, on the battlefield for sure. And uh, that's, that's different. Um, I understand there's a lot more lenient leave policy. That might be good. That makes you more like, feel like you're at college. Um, um, and uh, last time I was up there, I think it was for a maybe for a funeral, not just last, not, not, not last week, but uh, uh, before that, uh, an officer came over and he introduced himself as the, uh, um, as the, uh, uh, what's it called? Some, some kind of special officer they didn't have before, diversity officer. Uh, they've, they've got some things that are uh, along the lines of diversity and and liberalism that I don't particularly uh, agree with, but uh, uh, I'm just going to let it go at that. Um, uh, but I, I think it's still, I think West Point still produces uh, uh, some some high quality uh, graduates. Uh, there's a lot more women now. Uh, of course, we had no women when I was there. And uh, I think there's a, a good place for women at West Point and also in the Army. Uh, I am totally against women in combat uh, arms. And I don't know if they're being sent. To, I think they are being sent to combat arms now. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not too, too much in favor of that. And uh, I can't think of anything else. I, I don't know. I, it's still, still, I, I still have no regrets about uh, uh, gone. I, I think in many ways they've become more, more liberal and more soft. But uh, um, I'm an old guy, so I don't know if I can judge that properly. 
I'd say Rudy Saul. So I think that I think and he's and he's still running in the army. So yeah, I think we can agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. No, I appreciate I appreciate that insight. That was kind of a, that was kind of a curveball I threw you too because that's not really about your you know, your past your bio. So I was you know um, threw that one out there a little bit you know. But I always find it so interesting um, hearing from um, you know, graduates from, you know, the sixties or seventies or eighties and kind of before the, the new generation of, um, of West Point kind of came to be and kind of, you know, cause yeah. some things remain exactly the same, you yeah. know, and some things never change. And then other things go, you know, drastically different and just evolve over time. So yeah. I find it interesting. I kind of want to know that. So I appreciate you sharing. So kind of, um, you know, was when you're getting ready for commissioning and, and branching and posting, you know, was it the same process back then as it is, you know, where in November of your first year, you, you, you pick your branch and then kind of you know, late winter time, you pick your post and you, and then graduate and you go there and you go through basic officer courses or how did you guys select at, um, at the time when you're going through the Academy? My class did not have basic, uh, um, branch courses that we went to. Uh, I think I think there were maybe two classes that uh, did not go to branch training. And then the Army realized that was a mistake. And then they went back to it. I think we could have used it. Uh, I felt that uh, when I graduated, uh, I got sent to uh, Fort Hood, Texas. And uh, I was uh, uh, I mean, as far as choosing a branch, that that I imagine that's a was the same. I I didn't know what branch I didn't know what branch I wanted to be. Uh, I just knew that uh, if there was a war, I wanted to be a warrior and not a staff guy. Uh, I don't want to deliver the mail or bring the food. I want to shoot the rifle, and uh, I didn't want to come home after the war and feel guilty that somebody else fought the war and I didn't. So I chose infantry uh, and I got it. Uh, anybody who chooses infantry almost gets it. Uh, but but I, I, don't, I don't know that, but I never did much in the way of cadet activity because of the sports that I was in. Uh, I don't recall ever having a, an officer type responsibility in the company. Uh, I, I didn't do a lot of parades uh, and I don't regret that at all. I didn't like that stuff. Um, but uh, I, I, I did I did okay with uh, my, my training. I, I did okay in airborne school and I did okay in uh, ranger school. So I didn't feel like I missed out on any particular training. But when I got sent to Fort Hood, there was no infantry around. So there was no furtherance of my training and uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do. And I found out, well, I went to the airborne school and came back, went to ranger school and came back. And then uh, I'm still sitting around sucking my thumb a lot, no troops to command and uh, not much to do. So I found out that uh, there was a uh, wrestling tournament at uh, Fourth Army at uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I went down there and, and won at 213. And uh, they sent me up to West Point and I, I wrestled in the all army wrestling tournament and I won that. So I guess you could say there was a time when nobody in the army could beat me. Um, <laughs> that still might be true. It might. <laughs> well, I, I haven't lost since, but, uh, but then I went to the uh, inner service and I, I lost uh, not the Navy, but to the air force guy and uh, in the finals. So I came in second, but uh, then they sent me to Baghdad, Iraq to coach the Iraqi army wrestling team. It was part of a state department program that they had where they sent military officers to uh, Iraq to coach Iraqi army uh, athletic teams. The problem is I did not speak Arabic. They did not speak English and it was one heck of a assignment. Uh, uh, they would pick me up in a Jeep every morning about seven o'clock. Practice was from seven to nine. And uh, I had to use arm motions and 
uh, go yalla, 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 you know, run. Uh, it was pretty tough to, to, to coach when you're, you don't have the language. Um, and then, then, and then I'd come back to the American embassy about nine, 10 o'clock and I'd have the rest of the day at the pool. And then the, a party with the, uh, service people, uh, at night. And, uh, then Vietnam was starting. That was in 1966, uh, the spring of 1966. So I, I wrote back to Colonel Billy Joe Chance, who was the, uh, uh, infantry advisor. And I said, Hey, Colonel, you know, it looks like, uh, there's, there's a war starting up and we're probably all going to go. So when it's my turn, I don't want to go with a ragtag outfit. Like I I'm assigned to at Fort hood. I want to go with an outfit where I have a chance to survive. Uh, I'd like to go to the 173rd airborne if you can pull it. And I'm, I'm not in any hurry, but when I go, which can you see that I go to the 173rd? Two weeks later, I had orders for the 173rd Airborne. So I guess I volunteered. And uh, that's the only time the Army gave me the, the assignment that I wanted. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, it was a great outfit. Uh, the Airborne troops were, were great. And uh, uh, every uh, we spent most of the year out on uh, patrol and in the jungles. Um, we lost a lot of guys. and. Uh, uh, I, I enjoyed being a, a rifle platoon leader, and uh, uh, every time we went out on a mission, I, I got everybody together in a, in a huddle, just like we do for uh, before a wrestling match, and uh, we said the Lord's Prayer together, and uh, uh, and uh, we all came back. We never, I never lost a guy while I was a platoon leader. Unfortunately, as soon as I moved to a, a higher position and somebody else took over my platoon uh, that lieutenant walked into an ambush got killed along with half of my 30 men and uh, uh, and then uh, uh, the colonel wanted to put a, another guy another lieutenant in his place and uh, he came to me and said uh, hey Tom I'm, I'm I've been around just almost as long as you. I'm second, second uh, in seniority. I want to get off the front line like you did, and I'm, I don't feel good about going back into another rifle platoon because he had mortar platoon at the time. Uh, I said I'll talk to the colonel. So I went and talked to the colonel, and uh, I said, Colonel, I'll take over my old platoon. And uh, uh, he said, No, nope, I want you where you are. I had the mortar platoon for the battalion. And uh, he said, I want, I want Al to take over that. Yeah, well, 30 days after the other guy got killed, Al walked into an ambush and got killed along with the other half of my platoon. So war is no fun. Uh, I just missed it by uh, a little bit. And I figure I've been lucky ever, ever uh, on those two occasions. And, uh, uh, but I still wouldn't trade the experience of leading men in combat uh, for anything. I never lost a man, but uh, uh, we prayed together and uh, we were cautious. And uh, I, I, I tell anybody, uh, including cadets, when I come up to present the Arvin Award, I tell them when you're a soldier and you're in combat, you, you, never, you never relax. Uh, you, you sleep with one eye open, you're always prepared and you always expect the unexpected. And that's how I survived. And that's how uh, anybody should should approach being in combat. So that's, uh, 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 that was it. Then I came back and became a company commander at a training company and decided to get out after my time was up. Tom, truly from, from the bottom of my heart, and I, I tell my soldiers all the time that you know, we're, we're so lucky right now that um, we, you know, I have the privilege of serving in an army that the, uh, the American people generally, you know, respect us and, um, and everything we do. And it, it, it's really that you guys, your, your generation, uh, had to go through that, that tough time of, of coming back. So really, truly, 
thank you for everything you've done. I mean, I, I tell my guys all the time, hey, you know, you don't understand how lucky you have it and, uh, and, and how easily that can be lost. So, uh, yeah, seriously, uh, thank you for your service. And, and I, I love hearing these stories. Um, I, it, it's just a, a real honor to hear you today. It, it was definitely a, a shocker when we came home, the way we were greeted. Uh, I landed in San Francisco. There was an airline uh, strike. They were just getting over it. And uh, a lot of people were getting bounced from one plane to another, one flight to another. And uh, they wouldn't give us a, a flight all the way home. And uh, the, the people were not very friendly at all uh, when we got home. And uh, uh, I, I happened to luck out in Chicago. I got to Chicago, but then uh, I ran into a businessman who uh, respected my uniform, and he took me to the he took me to the uh, you know the VIP place and bought me a sandwich and and uh, he sat on the plane with me and even gave me a ride to my uh, fiance's house uh, near Pittsburgh when we got home and uh, uh, he was uh, his name was. Uh, 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 his name was uh, Marsh, and he was from Wheeling, and he was in the tobacco business. So you might have heard of Marsh Wheeling cigars. Uh, I, I started smoking Marsh Wheeling cigars after that for a long time. But he was a great guy. But the, 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 the mood or the, the love that the country has had for uh, veterans and soldiers uh, since that time has, has never yielded. Uh, it was really bad when we were there, uh, and that's okay. We, we, well, that caused a lot of PTSD and depression, too. Uh, it never affected me, but uh, uh, it, 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 once it improved, it improved when we uh, went into uh, Iraq, I think, and uh, the country turned around, and, and uh, it hasn't faltered yet, so I hope that, I hope that patriotism uh, continues and, and sticks with us. Sir, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. You, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about when you're presenting the Bob Arvin Award um, back at West Point. You know, yeah, I understand you were you were pretty close with him, you know, at the academy, and you know, pretty close friends. You know, talk about him a little bit. There's not many people who know him directly. Um, and I think that's something you know that I think goes. Uh, everybody knows the the reputation of him. You know, being you know named you know named after the gym, but not many people know him. You know, if you could talk. Know, a little bit about Mr. Arvin and kind of your relationship with him a little bit. If I could have designed a, a, a guy to be my brother, I would have designed Bob Arvin. Uh, he and I came from the same background. Um, we both had good parents. Mine worked in a factory. I don't think his did, but uh, uh, Bob, I mean, he Neither one of us cussed. Uh, I think the first swear word I said in my whole life was hell. And that was uh, midway through plebe year when somebody forced me to say so many days until Army beat the hell out of Navy. Well, Bob Arvin was the same kind of guy. He didn't walk around swearing. Uh, he ate his eggs with a fork. I, I scooped mine up with a toast. So he had a lot of class. And, uh, and we were tight like brothers. And uh, uh, Bob was a super good guy. He was my wrestling partner. Uh, uh, once Ruchatz, uh and Nicola uh, uh, graduated, uh, he was 177, I was 191. And uh, he was top of the class and I was uh, elsewhere. And, uh, but we were, we were, we were like brothers, very good friends. And, uh, and actually, on the day that I was leaving Vietnam, August 15th of two, uh, 1967, uh, a jeep approached me. I was in the base camp. The rest of the battalion was out in the, in the jungles. And uh, here comes a jeep, and somebody yells out, hey, Tom, and there's Arvin. Uh, he found, I don't know how he knew where I was, but he found me. He was an advisor to the, uh, uh, the uh, Vietnamese airborne unit. 
And uh, he said, we don't have ammo. Can you imagine that? The top cadet, the first captain of my class is sent to combat one year after graduation and he doesn't have enough ammo to fight the war. So I took him down to the ammo shed. It was locked. I broke the lock and filled up his Jeep with as much stuff as he could carry. And uh, I couldn't get him to take any more. And uh, um, two weeks later, he got wounded. And uh, um, being the leader that he is, he went right back into the, uh, the fray. And this time he uh, got wounded. And I think a bullet uh, hit his uh, collarbone and ricocheted into his brain or someplace. And it killed him. Uh, and I'll just tell you one more thing about Bob Arvin. And he, uh, he, he was a good wrestler. He was very good in high school, better than I was. I think he was a state champ in Michigan. And uh, just a super, super, super nice guy. And uh, uh, a gentleman in every, every way. And uh, um, he, uh, uh, his, his classmates and teammates from uh, uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan, where he grew up, uh, for 50 years, they gave an award uh, in his name or scholarship in his name to kids from the high school. Um, there were places around uh, his hometown that were named after him. We've got the Arvin Gym uh, by my class named after him. We give, we present the Arvin Award to the senior uh, wrestler who best exemplifies the uh, example that Bob sent, set in uh, academics and uh, <clears throat> uh, love for wrestling and in uh, leadership. And uh, um, when I was in combat, I was tough as nails. I remember, I remember a movie before I went. It was a uh, starring uh, Roderick Crawford and uh, his, he was a sergeant and all his men were crying over guys who got killed. And he said, he told his men, he said, that's, that's not your buddy anymore. That's just a hunk of, hunk of meat, you know, get over it, get on with the battle. Well, that's how I approached uh, uh, Vietnam. And there were lots of bodies that I, I loaded on airplanes guys that used to be my men and two guys that took my place even. And uh, uh, I think the first time I ever shed a tear after that was at a, uh, a reunion of the 173rd, maybe 10 years after Vietnam. And the Sergeant Major uh, and I were at the bar and Sergeant Major said, uh, we, we both had a drink, whiskey, and he, he said, uh, Captain, to the Army. So I, we toasted to the Army. And then we toasted to uh, the ladies. And then we toasted. And then I just blurted out. What to Bob Arvin? And that's the first time I ever cried. He was a good guy. That's all I could say. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. I appreciate you, uh, you sharing that. You know, the listeners, you know, they're, you know, they're listening. I'm sure that, you know, they can, you know, if there's, there's graduates there, you know, a lot of my classmates, you know, went to war and, you know, didn't go through what you went through, um, but can relate in a sense. And, you know, you look back at some of the memories and, um, you know, it's not the best times. Um, a lot of them, but I really appreciate you sharing. You can get really emotional. I don't think I meant to. It just came out. You know, Tom, it, it, I just appreciate hearing these stories. I mean, hardly anyone can has that the experience with, with Bob Marvin that you did. So really, thank you for opening up to our listeners. And um, I would say any of our, our cadets now or folks that are, are thinking about going to West Point because I, I didn't understand that coming into it and what that um, 
kind of connection to service means and I mean, you're a wonderful representation of that. I think all of us that have served understand that and we, we understand exactly where you're coming from. So yeah. really, again, every, everything you've done today, thank you. But uh, I, I just appreciate you opening up on your story because I'm sure it's, it's hard as it is for a lot of us um, to talk about war, but it's, uh, it, it's just been an awesome, awesome conversation today for me personally. So thank you. Definitely uh, people who have not been don't understand no matter how you tell it to them. There, there's no way they can understand. But uh, we understand and we understand each other and uh, we just have to deal with it. Sure. By the way, I forgot one thing about my military service, which makes me unique. My battalion, the second battalion of the 173rd, uh, second of the 503rd of the 173rd Airborne, we are the only unit, American unit, in Vietnam and since that made a combat parachute jump. And we did it in Vietnam. So when I go to a wounded warrior camp and we're talking to guys with PTSD, we, we, uh, those of us who are uh, participating, uh, we, we introduce ourselves and I tell them, and therefore, that makes me, by definition, a badass. <laughs> uh, I am an official badass because I made a combat jump. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm just a dirty leg. I've never been to airborne school. I don't know what's wrong with me. You know. But oh, I, I, yeah, I know, right? Um, but, uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> More power to you. I, uh, I, I just can't imagine <laughs> jumping into combat. That's, uh, that, that's pretty awesome. I thought when I jumped out on the first training jump that, geez, how am I going to do this? And there's all these kids who are 18 years old, privatey nothings, and they're going out the door. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to, how can I be their leader if I, if I'm worried about it? I was worried about it, but I went out the door and I did it five times. And then when it comes to comp, you think that's a pucker factor when you're jumping into a combat zone. That's a pucker factor like none other, but we, we came out of it okay. Was your uh, jump, jump successful, no issues? Didn't get uh, yeah. dropped in the trees or anything like that? No, no, but the last movie I saw before I went to Vietnam was The Longest Day. And all I could think about were those guys who got stuck in the trees and shot at by the Germans, stuck in church steeples and all that stuff. And I, I took my, my rifle, I had my 45, my uh, smuggled in 38 revolver, I had a big Jim Bowie knife, I had a K-bar hunting knife, uh, a Marine K-bar knife, and I had several pocket knives in different pockets. I wasn't getting hung up in any tree. <laughs> I wasn't going to get shot out without shooting back. But it was, it was a... We were supposed to be rescuing a, a, a POW camp and there was none there, but it was two weeks later in that area uh, where the, the first combat happened, where uh, the guy that took my place got, got killed, walked into an ambush. So it, there were people in that area, but uh, we must have surprised them. They, they, didn't, they didn't know we were coming. Wow, that's, a, that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you, when you, you talked about earlier transitioning from um, the military, but you, you know, you had you took a you took an assignment at Fort Polk um, after after Vietnam. You know, uh, talk to us a little bit about kind of your your last duty in, in the military, and then what it was like transitioning out, and how you picked you know your profession out, outside of the military. Well, Fort Polk was where I was assigned when I came back from Vietnam. And uh, I went down to Washington to get that changed and, and uh, they wouldn't change it. The army never gave me an assignment that I wanted except the 173rd. So I was down there and uh, then I got orders for uh, uh, Vietnamese language school. Or no, but, uh, while I was at Fort Polk, again, I was a training company commander, uh, uh, AOT for uh, advanced infantry training. And uh, I decided that, well, if I'm gonna stay in the service and I didn't know if I wanted to or not, 
if I'm going to stay in, this board isn't going to last forever. And I don't, I can't, I didn't want to do staff stuff. So I wanted to get into embassy, foreign embassies. And there was a program called the FAST program, Foreign Area Specialist Training. And you have to be military intelligence for that. So I put in for a branch transfer and I went to uh, uh, intelligence training in Baltimore. And uh, I, I called it spy school. So I was learning to be a James Bond kind of guy. That was fun. And then they sent me to Texas and uh, uh, to go to the Vietnamese language school. And I was within a couple of weeks of going back to Vietnam for my second tour, but I was already at four and a half years and my class had been extended 18 months, but because Nixon started bringing the troops back, uh, they, they ended the extensions and didn't send me uh, over to Vietnam. So I said, well, why don't you just let me get out and I'll start my civilian career. And they did. And uh, I sent out resumes all over the place to uh, headhunter agencies and uh, uh, classmate of mine had uh, uh, a, a father who was a big shot at US Steel in Pittsburgh. And I, I wanted to pursue that, but he never got back to me. Uh, and my mother had a cousin up in Boston who was a, uh, a group controller for Polaroid Corporation. So I contacted him and uh, uh, the day I got out, he flew me up to, uh, uh, he flew me up to uh, Boston for interviews. And uh, uh, I, I took a job with Polaroid and I was there for two years as a financial analyst. And uh, um, my, that, that, that guy left after I was there for about uh, two years. And um, I didn't like it really that much. I didn't like living in Boston that much. So I wanted to get closer to Pittsburgh, but the, the woman that I married when I got back from Vietnam was who was from Pittsburgh, didn't want to go home to Pittsburgh. So we agreed on Washington DC as a compromise. So I, I contacted some headhunter agencies in DC and everybody said, hey, thanks for your resume, it looks good. We'll let you know when we have something. Well, after weeks and weeks of waiting for somebody to have something, I said, the hell with it. I wrote to them a, a letter and said, there's my resume. I'm coming down, whether you see me or not. And I'm going to find some headhunter that's going to agree to meet me so they know who I am, so I can find a job in Washington, DC. So I found one, one company uh, uh, talked to me and they sent me out on five or six interviews and I got offers from every one of them. And I ended up in construction and that's how my, my life in construction started. Appreciate that. And so I understand you're, you're pretty involved in some veteran groups um, and giving back, you know, talk to us a little bit about, I mean, I, I listened to the, your, your um, there was a podcast or an interview you did with, um, with AOG and they talked a little bit about it, but they, you didn't really get in depth. How did you, get into that and like tell, talk to us a little bit about what you're involved with and how you started um, giving well, back. There was a, uh, my wife passed away. Uh, my second wife passed away in 2016. And uh, um, I was already, uh, well, I was already in my seventies and I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be or, I'm not even sure I cared if I lived very much longer or what, but uh, I wanted to do something with the rest of my life. Uh, and uh, I, I met a friend in uh, Florida uh, at the airport. I was waiting to come home, uh, waiting for a plane. And I talked to this uh, person for a couple hours and, and uh, when we, she, she, this lady go, went to my church when, when we got home, uh, she, she called me the next day and said, hey, you think that's by accident we met? I said, I don't know, what are you thinking? Uh, I knew she was married, I didn't wanna fool around. Uh, she said, why don't you do something with veterans? Cause she knew, I, I told her I wanted to do something with the rest of my life, but I didn't know what. 
She said, why don't you do something with veterans? I said, well, I already do. I help out at Wounded Warrior Camp four or five times a year for, for one day. We give mock, I give mock interviews and uh, we help the guys uh, uh, go find a job. And they're at this program for, for a week. And uh, the last day we give mock interviews to help them get used to interviewing. And uh, she said, well, maybe you can do more than that. And I said, well, maybe you're right. So I thought about it. And then I came up with this idea that maybe I can help more veterans, guys with PTSD. And uh, uh, my feeling was from, from going to 40 or 50 of these week-long wounded warrior things where I'm doing mock interviews, uh, talking to a lot of wounded warriors, uh, I said to myself, you know, what these guys really need, uh, you know, they'll get, they'll get whatever medication they need. They'll get whatever medical uh, uh, help they need. But what they don't get is to talk to somebody who has the same experience and to find out how they, how they dealt with it. Uh, my theory was that uh, the guys with PTSD just need somebody who understands. We talked about understanding. Somebody who understands combat and knows what they're going through and can give them some advice. Somebody who's already been through what they've been through. And uh, I put together a team of guys who uh, uh, have all had PTSD. Uh, I have one guy that uh, uh, great big, uh, uh, great big guy who, who uh, uh, was like a gentle giant. He, uh, he put a gun to his mouth, pulled the trigger and nothing happened. And he decided to turn to God. And he did, got himself straightened up. And now he's one of the guys that speaks at my, my retreats and tries to tell other guys uh, how to deal with PTSD and depression. And uh, uh, we had, uh, we, we just got started two years ago. We had one retreat. We had like, intentionally, we wanted to keep it to between six and 12 guys so we could give them some attention. Had them come in for three or four days. We talked, I had different speakers. Um, and one of the speakers is one of my board members who's uh, a female who was not combat, but she lost a son. And uh, she too went through, why do I want to live anymore? That kind of stuff. Uh, so they make good speakers. And uh, so we, I had I had them in for three days and uh, it was well received. And, uh, you know, the guys got something out of it. We don't charge any money. We don't pay any money to anybody. Uh, um, we will pay for speakers and we'll pay for uh, transportation costs if we can afford it. Uh, and then, and then we had, uh, and then I decided, but well, it's a really slow process the way we're going about it. Uh, we can't. We got to have a way to find these veterans who have PTSD. So I decided to have a banquet, and. Uh, um, I said, we're going to have a banquet and we're going to invite veterans and we're going to have them come free because otherwise they probably wouldn't pay to come. And we're going to get a guest speaker. And that guest speaker was a guy from Navy who wrestled Bob Arvin and he wrestled me in high school. Uh, he was, his name was Dave Carey. He wrestled for, uh, uh, Jeanette. I don't know if you ever heard of him, uh, Rudy, but uh, Dave Carey uh, was a POW, uh, spent seven years in captivity, and uh, uh, he was a friend of mine. Uh, we wrestled in high school, and uh, uh, he was older than me, so he, he did beat me, and I never had a chance for a rematch, but, uh, uh, but when he wrestled Bob Arvin, Bob Arvin beat him, and he said he whooped him real good. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, 
so that was interesting that he wrestled for Navy. But anyhow, he lived in Texas. He did motivational speaking. He didn't charge me a dime. He came out. I insisted on paying for his plane fare. And uh, I put him up in the hotel. And uh, he was great. We had 320 people show up. 120 of them were veterans. And uh, uh, the rest were people who just covered the cost of the meal. And uh, we were at the Sheraton in Greensburg. And uh, it, was, it was a great event. We got names and addresses of uh, veterans, not, not all who need help with PTSD, but we got some. Uh, a lot of them were old, old farts from uh, other wars, but uh, still a lot of Vietnam era guys. And that's what we're going that's our, that's our MO right now. They have small uh, retreats where we can deal with guys one-on-one and uh, uh, once a year have a big banquet with a guest speaker. Maybe a, I'd love to get Alejandro Villanueva, West Pointer football player, uh, who also uh, fought in Afghanistan. You know, guys like that come and be the speaker. And I'll always uh, get the uh, veterans uh, to come free at 20 bucks a person, uh, 100 guys, it's, it's nothing. Uh, we can do that. So we raise money. We get donations. Uh, it's not hard to get donations. We got about $20,000 in the bank right now. And uh, we're just waiting for COVID to, to relax a little bit so we can get, uh, get another years of programs uh, going. And that's what we do to try to help veterans. They, they need our help. And uh, much to my delight, there are lots of organizations who do the same thing. Uh, they're bigger than us. Somehow they, they, they are able to raise millions of dollars, uh, but we, we, we go for the, uh, the smaller scale. Uh, and we do what we can. So that's it. That's uh, pretty remarkable what, what you're, you know, what you did in, in such a short amount of time too. You know, it makes it uh, kind of, you know, people want to get involved. I think taking the next yeah. step, you know, kind of when that lady approached you and said, hey, you know, you do this, but you could be doing more. Um, yeah, you know, makes you think of what you're doing, you know, make, makes you know, me think and other, you know, maybe others think, you know, what else could I be yeah. doing to maybe help out a little bit more? Cause I know it hits home with a lot of people. I know, I know there's, there's been a lot of outreach, especially for, you know, PTSD and, and suicide here in the last few years. Um, you know, I always see the, the 22, um, you know, kind of different challenges for, you know, suicide, you know, veteran suicides a day and, you know, different awareness strategies. They just, they just need somebody to talk to, somebody who understands. And uh, the doctors who have never been to combat, they don't understand. Wives don't understand. Uh, we, we try to focus on um, uh, a belief in God, uh, regardless of religion. We don't care what religion. Uh, we try to... Uh, uh, um, uh, suggest uh, everybody has a fire team. Uh, that's kind of a Marine term uh, that they use at these wounded warrior things. Uh, five or six people that you can turn to if, if uh, you're, you're, you're having problems. Uh, uh, we, we want them to be better husbands, better fathers, and, uh, uh, and, and mostly to believe in themselves. And uh, they're, they're, they're weak in all those areas. And that's what we try to do. Tom, just, I mean, thank you for what you do. I, I uh, you know, one of the real um, pleasant surprises, I guess, if you will, from, from my experiences of West Point is the people that you meet. And it, it, it's people like you, really. Um, I Truly, I, you might look 25 still, but uh, you're not anymore. And you're still, you know, putting your head down and, and, and doing good things for, for the soldiers. Um, I don't know how you find the energy to, to do what you do, um, but, but it's pretty incredible. And I, I think that's really what I've taken away with 10 years of reflection now of, of West Point is uh, just, just the incredible people that you, you go, to, um, go to school with and the incredible people that West Point uh, kind of produces. And um, yeah, just, just thanks for everything through, through the years and, uh, and what you continue to do because it's, it's absolutely necessary and uh, you're, you're continuing to change lives every day. So, so thank you. Well, I, I just, 
I, I decided after that conversation I had with that friend in, uh, in Florida, uh, I decided that uh, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life uh, is what God wants me to do. And uh, uh, it's whatever I feel that God wants me to do is what I'm going to do. And I figure I'm going to live as, as long as I'm doing that until he doesn't need me anymore. He's got somebody else lined up. So I, I, I want to help uh, the veterans. Um, I've also taken on helping some of the widows of classmates of mine uh, that were friends of mine and uh, uh, widows that I feel like uh, maybe they need some help. Uh, they won't admit that they do, but if you give them, a, give them some help uh, financially, then uh, uh, you can tell that they, they need the help. So I try to do that. I've tried to help a couple people at, uh, from church who are, are maybe uh, also needing help. Uh, I'm not a rich guy. I never have been, but uh, 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 <clears throat> this this past year I got uh, my my claims for all my uh, VA benefits that uh, I suffered because of Vietnam, like uh, Agent Orange, heart disease. Uh, knees and hips that were actually football injuries. Uh, but uh, I finally got a big settlement from the VA and uh, it would have been nice 10 years ago, but uh, it comes now. So I'm doing, I'm doing what God tells me to do with it. So that's what I'm doing. That's absolutely awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I think it's good, 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 uh, Good place to end with the show. And I appreciate you coming on, um, sharing all your insight. I know it can get it got you know pretty emotional um, at different points, but I appreciate you sharing. I know the listeners, you know, they love hearing, you know, from all different generations and perspectives. Um, so you know, it was, it was great to have you on. And I don't know if you have any, any last words to add, you know, Rudy um, or Mr. Abraham before we uh, before we end it. I just, I just want to thank you both for uh, uh, giving me the opportunity and. Uh, I, I never mind uh, talking about uh, what we can do for others. Uh, it's not about uh, it's not about what I've done or uh, that, that might be interesting, but the important thing is what we all can do to help others. And uh, that's my mission now. Well, thank you, Tom, truly. Okay. Really appreciate it. So, yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show. All right. Thank you. Thanks. All right, Tom, have a good night. Say hi to your mom. And <laughs> I will. <And> dad. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right, see you. Thanks for tuning in to the B-Hall Radio Show. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. If there's something you'd like to hear on a future show, reach out to us on any of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or you can reach us at email bhaw.radio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And as always, go Army, be Navy.